chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers and sisters, if you come, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or, of no, or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourself, if, your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. This is God's word. You may be seated as we go into prayer this morning. And Father, as we come before you today, I pray, Lord, that you would just open up our hearts and you would open up our minds as we get into your word. Summer is finally upon us and we see all of the changes that go on outside in creation and all the beautiful things that, that we see just blooming and blossoming before us. Help us understand, Lord, that each day that goes by and each week and each month and each year that goes by, life continues to go on and the world moves forward and you have called us to be your people for your world in, in ways that only we can. Remind us of that, Lord, in the midst of all of the struggles that we have and all of the trials that we have and all of the things that we're dealing with, with every person that's on our prayer list from Mary, Steve and Donna, Donna's stepdad and Francis and Patty's stepdaughter and, and Patty Brasso and Tadge as well, all of those folks who are dealing with various illnesses and different things that they are in need of comfort for, they are in need of healing, they are in need of peace, and they are in need of prayer. I pray your blessings upon them, and I pray, Lord, that as you just put your hands upon them, that you would give them wisdom, you would give all of those who are in the medical field that are dealing with them the wisdom that's necessary to to handle the things that need to be handled. I pray your peace and your comfort upon those folks that we as a body praying for them would be reminded every day through their names that are before us to lift them up in prayer before you. Help us to remember them, Lord. I pray for Kathy's mom who's been taken to the hospital this morning um, looking at a possible heart attack and running tests with all that that entails. I pray for peace for the entire family, for Kathy, for Rob, for everybody involved, for her mom as they bring her there. I pray that again you would give wisdom to the doctors and the nurses as they assess what's going on there, that you would give them insight, that you would help them to use the skills that you have blessed them with, Lord, to do all of the things that are necessary this morning. We lift her up to you. Lift Roger up to you, Lord, as he's looking just prayer for wisdom regarding financial matters and and a new car. Um, Just simple, basic needs, Lord. We pray that you would 
you would watch out for him and you would look over him for, for Brady, for Jonathan, for Shane, and all of the other folks that are listed here as active duty personnel. We ask that you would watch over all of these soldiers and all of their families. Ask it every week, Lord. And I know that you are faithful to hear our prayers because your word says so. We pray, Lord, for peace. Pray for our leaders that they would exercise wisdom and they would exercise intelligence with the decisions that they make as we try to figure out how it is we are supposed to interact globally with people all over this planet. I ask, Lord, that you would watch over our soldiers and their families, that you would give them comfort and you would give them peace and you would just remind them, Lord, that you have your hands upon them and that you are walking with them. Pray for Great Britain and all of Europe and the things that are going on over there. We could be all day long in prayer, Lord, praying for this world. But I leave it to you to help us to be your people for your world, learning how to share Jesus with everybody that we come in contact with, learning to to magnify and glorify the name of our Creator in and through the work that we do, in and through the gifts that we have, in and through the words that we say, and the actions that we, we take throughout this week, throughout every week. Remind us that it's about so much more than just these four walls. Lord, we lift all of these things up to you. We lift up the independence offering for next week to you. We lift up the faith promise offering this week. We ask that your hands would be upon those things. And as we transition and redo the sanctuary here and what seems to be little things, Father, would be an encouragement to us all as we seek to do the best that we are called to do for the glory of your name in the community that we're in. So as we get into the word this morning, teach us, Lord. Use me as your mouthpiece and help my heart and my my mouth and my mind to be right this morning as we look at your word. May we all hear what you have to say today. And I just lift all of these things up to you and I ask for your peace and your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I'm going to be taking a look this week at a message that I've titled very simply, Strive to Build Each Other Up. We are back looking at the gifts again after one week off of jumping into Ruth and looking at Boaz and the wonderful things that he did for Ruth, uh, for Ruth and Naomi. Now we're back into 1 Corinthians and we're going to work our way through that chapter that I gave you as homework multiple times over the last month, chapter 14. And again, I've titled the message, Strive to Build Each Other Up. And one of the things that I really want us to look at is that as a body of Christ, we are to strive to build each other up in the faith. And Paul deals specifically with the spiritual gifts here in chapter 14, which were of concern to the folks in Corinth. And that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time. We're not going to settle it all out this week, otherwise we wouldn't get home for dinner. Um, We're going to break it up over the next three weeks. So I want us to take a look at specifically prophecy in tongues today. Now, as I studied for this message this week, I read a story of two men who went about their building projects in their life in very different ways. They both headed off to work each morning to labor on their respective projects in their different areas of town, both building very, very diligently, but working very hard in their own way with very different focuses on the tasks that they had before them. You see, the first man would venture to this small, tiny little piece of land on the outskirts of town where he worked day in and day out building this beautiful little house, big enough for just he and his wife and the kids. The outside wasn't that big of a deal. After all, he didn't really care what anybody thought about what it looked like. He was building his home 
for his family. And most folks, in fact, around that area really didn't care what he was doing either, and they didn't care what the outside looked like. They didn't even pay attention to the fact that he was doing anything. Now, but inside this home, he paid attention to every tiny little detail going on. Small courtyard in the center of the house where the main focus was. It had walls made of beautiful polished marble and each room with all of its decorations and its finished work as ornate as it could be, just as beautiful as beautiful could be. Something to behold if you were ever allowed in the house. Each room was a work of art that he poured his heart into for his wife and his kids. Now, the only problem with this particular house was that only his family would ever see the beauty and the craftsmanship and the artwork that he poured in. His entire focus was on making sure that they had everything they wanted and they had everything they needed. cared very little for anyone outside of his house and, in fact, what they thought about what was going on inside. After all, they were never going to see it because he wasn't going to let them in. Now, his family had exactly what they needed and exactly what they wanted. It was beautiful, and it was satisfying to them, and that's what mattered. Now, the other guy, too, diligently left his house for his building project each day the exact same way the first guy did. Except he joined an entire crew of craftsmen focusing on this project, all working on a huge building that would eventually take up an entire block in the downtown square where they were building. Not only filling the empty lot with a beautiful building, they were transforming the entire downtown as they went along. He and the other men would show up each day, and the foreman would give each of them their assignment based upon what it was their specialty was and what it was their giftings were in. Headed to the site, they all worked on what they were most skilled in for that day, focusing on that individually but together as a team on the job site. And as they built, the structure itself began to take shape with all of its beautiful pillars, its vaulted ceilings, the archways, and all of that stuff, and then the beautiful front face of the building with these gorgeous doors for the entrance. Everyone in town was watching this beautiful cathedral taking shape with all of its beauty right before their eyes, each step along the way, each man on the job taking part in building for the good of the town and the good of everybody involved. Now, both places served a purpose, didn't they? Each place served a purpose. Both were built with skill. Both were built with craftsmanship and through the giftedness of those who were building the house and the cathedral. One, however, would never be seen by anybody except the person who built it in his immediate family, as it was built just for a few people, with little regard for others. It's kind of a weird story, hard story, but it's a very true story. Because as we continue today looking at the gifts which Paul talks about in his letter to the Corinthian church that we're focusing on here, we come once again to chapter 14, the place where Paul begins to define the gifts and how they should be used in relation to how it seems they're actually being used within the church at Corinth. This is what you're doing, but this is what you're supposed to be doing. The contrast between the two buildings projects is, in a very real sense, is what Paul's trying to get to here in chapter 14. He's contrasting what it looks like when we focus on doing nothing more than building up our own spiritual house, as it were, and our own private personal walk with the Lord each day. And that we do all alone. You see, the difference between the person who seeks only to have their private spiritual house tended to, as it were, versus the public and corporate worship 
that seeks to build up the entire community of believers and equips them for service beyond these four walls where they gather to hear the word. That's what Paul's focusing on. There's actually an undercurrent going on here and what the difference is when we look inward instead of outward. And not that there's an issue with our private devotional lives. Don't think that that's what I'm saying. Our personal prayer time Our scriptural reading time that we have each day, beyond Sunday, but every single day that you have, they're vital as our own personal growth as image bearers of the creator of the universe. However, out of the disciplines that we dedicate ourselves to in the quietness of our day-to-day living, out of those disciplines, we learn how to live as part of God's overall community together. It's a both and, it's not an either or. You see, making the inner spirit in the house as where the Holy Spirit lives should be a beautiful, personal, devotional time and worshipful time before the Lord. Personal holiness, it seems to me, seems to be one of those things that we've parked along the curbside and we don't worry too much about anymore. But those are very important things, but it's for a reason. Because out of this comes the ability for us to build up the whole community of believers because we individually are healthy together or even better. Paul enters or centers this chapter on the two gifts that he listed in chapter 12, if you remember, prophecy and tongues. He then centers the question he's looking at in the instructions that he gave us in chapter 13. See, chapter 13 isn't there just because it falls between 12 and 14. There's a purpose as to why it is chapter 13 was there. And really, the question that needs to be asked as we study these is the same exact question that N.T. Wright asks. And it's very simply this. Are you experiencing the gifts God gives you in the spirit of love? All of the gifts that we have, are we engaged in them? Are we experiencing them? Are we doing so in love? Because that's what builds others up. Paul starts off with this very plain statement. We can't get away from this theme. Pursue what? Love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So I want you to remember that when we look at love, remember we looked at it the last time when we were here in this letter looking at chapter 13 and the end of chapter 12, we learned what it was and we learned what it wasn't as well. Love is many things, but love is also not many things. And this is a theme that Paul needs to emphasize in this letter because it's very clear that selfishness and self-centeredness in the church of Corinth has unfortunately become a part of how it is they functioned as a corporate body of believers when they gathered on Sundays. The body of Christ, no matter what we are doing, no matter where we are, is to operate in love at all times. That's what we are supposed to do. It's clearly the theme of this letter. It's the manner and it's the attitude that we are to always have in every single situation, no matter who we're addressing, no matter what struggle we have, no matter what we are dealing with. One of the most difficult things today is to get people to understand that love is a choice before it's anything else. And I wrestled with how to define this. Okay, but love is a choice before it is anything else. The reason why folks fall in and out of love so quickly, the reason why people fight the way they do, the reason why it is they can't associate with somebody the way they associate with is because they think love is a feeling. And it's not a feeling. Now, we feel certain ways when we take a look at that person that, you know, we captured our hearts and that we fell passionately in love with. We feel certain ways when we see our children and when we see our grandchildren for the very first time. We feel certain ways. 
But that feeling passes, and it passes most especially when the person has done something so stupid that you wonder why it was you ever even gave them the time of day to begin with. Or they said something so cutting to you and so hurtful to you, and your feelings are just deeply destroyed. If we think love is a feeling, we stop associating with those people. But we don't do that, do we? Do you still love that person when they do something like that? Yes, I hope so. We should. Why? Because love is as much a choice. In fact, it's first a choice before it's anything else. There are days I'm certain, in fact, I'm very positive, that my wife doesn't like me very much. She's back teaching children's church, so she can't really amen that, but she probably will at some point. And a lot of that has to do with the way in which I act and respond sometimes and the things that I say and and when I get uneasy. But you know what she chooses when she gets out of bed every single day to love me, irrespective of how ugly I can be inside. She loves me, and I her. It's a choice. We make that choice every day. If we love based upon our feelings, then it's not love. Guess what that is? That's lust. Now, we think of lust usually in a sexual way, but you know what? It's not always that. Lust is a self-centered and selfish thing, plain and simple, whatever it is we're lusting after. So if we operate based solely upon feelings, that's what we're operating in, seeking out what is best for me with little regard for those around me. And that, in part, was what the issue was in Corinth, which is why Paul is so emphatic about what it means to love, what it is and what it isn't. You see, Paul didn't put the love chapter where he did and then tell them to pursue love as they gathered together because they had actually mastered that technique. They were struggling a great deal with it. And it was the opposite, in fact, and it was showing in how they were pursuing the gifts and using them. You see, when you don't operate in love, it comes out in everything you do. It comes out in all the things that I do. We get grouchy, we have attitudes, we do all of the things that we shouldn't do. And it was working itself out in the Corinthian church in the way in which they were worshiping and gathering together. Pursue the greater gifts, Paul says, and pursue them in love, he tells them. Why? Well, he says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to who? To God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Now, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. Now, that would really throw some people for a loop, but Paul actually says that. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that what? The church may be built up. You see, the gifts, every single one of them are for the building up of the church, not for personal edification. Again, our personal spiritual disciplines are vital to our growth, and it's the only way that we can operate together as a healthy body of believers. But ultimately, ultimately, our goal is to be working together to build up the whole body, not just ourselves. So each of us is doing their part in the midst of it all, within your giftings, for the benefit of others. So back to Paul. Because it seems really clear to me that he keeps focusing on tongues as much as he does because he's actually answering the questions that were posed to him. See, unique in this this letter here, in the second letter to the Corinthian church, is that much like the, the first letter to Timothy, Paul got a letter from this church with a whole bunch of questions. Now, we don't have that preserved for us, but we do have his responses to those particular questions. 
So we can know pretty much what they were asking based upon how he was responding. And it seems clear that they had an awful lot of concerns with respect to how things were working out in their, what they would call their love feasts or their gatherings on the Lord's Day. They weren't working the way they were supposed to. And it's clear that tongues had become a primary focus and a primary gift that the believers, or of the believers, and it seems to the detriment of the church and the body there as a whole, focusing too much on it. I see no other reason why Paul himself focused on making it clear which gifts actually benefit the church and how they benefit the church. Now, much like today, in our day and age, and I suspect for the same exact reasons, tongues has divided the body of believers along the same lines. Should it be? Shouldn't it be? What are we supposed to do? How does it work? How doesn't it work? Who has the gift? Who doesn't? Was that person better than the other person? Did they have more Holy Spirit than me? I don't know if any of you have ever asked that question, but these questions I hear as a pastor all the time. Is that person better than me? Are they more spiritual than me because they have this particular gift, especially tongues? Why don't I have that gift? Am I not praying hard enough? Does that mean that God doesn't like me quite as much as sister or brother so-and-so? All of these questions get posed. And the one that scares me the worst as a pastor and upsets me the most is people who actually look at me and say, I don't think I'm saved because I haven't spoken in tongues yet, and that's what I've been told. Read your Bibles. The Bible doesn't say that. Anybody tells you that, they're wrong. Ask them to show you where it says that. All of these questions look inward. Think about that for a minute. All of those questions look inward. They don't look upward towards God and outward towards the other. They look inward. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Whatever gifts we have, and we have gifts, we are all to use them for the body of believers. And this is one of the prime reasons why Paul emphasizes prophecy over tongues. Not that one is better than the other, but one edifies the church more than the other one does. Now, because as verse 4 stated, tongues builds up individuals. Again, prophecy builds up the church. Now, the contrast can be actually seen when it comes to food. And anybody that knows me knows I like food, so I like to contrast things with food. But I think at some level Paul did too. Because in chapter 8, Paul says this. Now, bear with me. We all know that all of us possess knowledge, means we know stuff. This knowledge does what? Puffs up. But love does what? Builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now again, he's answering a direct question for whatever reason it was. Apparently, people knew better than he did. And they knew better than everybody around them. And Paul is saying, no, look, at what you know just puffs up. Having a fat head isn't the most helpful things if we are operating incorrectly in the church. Pride and arrogance always comes out of what we know and how we apply what we know. That's what puffs up. We have to be careful, especially as it relates to the gifts. Just because we know stuff doesn't automatically make us useful and helpful to the body. I can know a whole bunch of stuff and be dumb as a stick. And in many respects, I probably am. And I don't say that you know, for you know, anything more than just those are just the cold hard facts. We have to temper what we know with God's love, with compassion, and with empathy towards other people. Then the gifts become something that people will look at and go, you know what, that brings glory to God. 
even though that person's being ministered to. You see, we may know more than anybody else around us, or at least we think we do. But if we know that we know, and then act and speak in that manner, guess what? You all know what that turns out to. We all become more of a nuisance, and we become a very big annoyance to everybody around us rather than a helpful servant within what it is God's trying to do in and through us. Why? It's not because we're ungifted. It's because we aren't operating in love. Love always has concern for the other. It seeks to serve others first. Love is patient and kind and so forth, remember? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. When the people of God gather to worship him, we aren't building our own private spiritual homes here on a Sunday morning. No, we are gathering here as the worship team leads us. We are looking to build that great cathedral of worship, as it were, for all to enjoy and all to grow in and all to lift their voice up to the creator and all to celebrate what it is God has for us in and through the songs in and through the word and in and through prayer. That's what makes a healthy body of believers who can, who will, and who do make an unbelievable impact on the wider world that needs Christians to be Christians. Never have we needed that more than today. Do others see Jesus in how we worship? That's the question I ask myself. Do others see Jesus in how we worship? Do they see how we honor him by the way we give to one another, by the way we serve and treat and speak to one another? Do they see him in us? And yes, even how we tend to and care for the very building that God has blessed us with some 37 years ago, how we maintain and handle this facility, as silly as it may seem to some folks, also brings glory and honor to God. Zach spent five hours the other day power washing half of the building. Now, that may seem like just some mundane routine, although his arms are probably like this at this point. But how we tend to and care for the building that God has blessed us with indicates how much we love and worship him. Don't ever think it doesn't. Don't ever think it doesn't. All of this speaks to how we love him. And Paul's been emphasizing this in his teachings to the congregation in Corinth. The gifts are a wonderful thing and never say never when it comes to their operating in a worship service because Paul never said never. Just seek what is most beneficial for the other so that the entire body is built up in the process. You see, he then asks them, now brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy of teaching? In other words, what Paul is saying, what good is it if I come to you and speak in a language that none of you understand? If I show up in a Greek-speaking congregation and I speak Russian, what good is that to any of you if none of you understand it? I get to be excited because for some reason the Holy Spirit is speaking through me and working through me in the congregation I'm at, but everyone else is sitting there not knowing what's going on, not understanding anything. In fact, it's actually something worse than that. They get nonsense and they get noise and more than likely will ask the same question that some people did in Acts chapter 2. Are you drunk? Are you on a bender today? See, Paul says that even if lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? Think about that. And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? I wrestled this through this week as poor Melissa hears my mouth running all the time. Um, 
And I, I left it with this. I have to ask the question, how many of you have ever attended a fourth grade band concert? Yeah, all right, she knows where I'm going. This is typically the first year for children in school to be able to get to choose their instruments and learn how to play. They get to learn what? Pop goes the weasel and Mary had a little lamb and all of those nice things. At least that's what I think they are. Because sometimes the notes are distinguishable. More often than not, the notes are not distinguishable. Even their best shot that first year, they might hit one note, perhaps two if they're real lucky. But they're trying. And let's be honest. It's mostly noise. It is. It's mostly noise, but they're trying because they want to make the right sound. Distinguishable only because that music teacher looked at you and said, these are the songs they're playing. And your ear is trying like crazy to find the notes to Pop Goes the Weasel and whatever it is is coming out of that flute. It doesn't make any sense. You see, that's the example that Paul is using here once again in 1 Corinthians 14. We can understand exactly what he's saying. Why? Because we've been there. It's the same exact way he started 1 Corinthians 13. If I make all this noise and I'm just clapping cymbals together, what? I'm making noise. People don't know what I'm saying. That's all I'm doing. Listen, he continues. He says this. So with yourselves, with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. And there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none of them is without meaning, as we've learned. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. And we don't want that. Most especially on Sunday mornings, we don't want that. Paul has no issue with the gift of tongues, none whatsoever. So we see that. We'll look in the weeks to come or what the rest of chapter 14 says in respect to how it is we manifest the gift of tongues. Verse 17 and 18 are very clear about the fact that he doesn't have an issue with it. It's just not something that builds up the body on a Sunday morning if it isn't interpreted. So we have to learn, if we're going to speak in tongues, that we, we need to be praying for interpretation. I don't want to get off track because that's in a couple of weeks. And it's done within the context of the worship service, Paul says, with interpretation. If we don't have that and we just speak in tongues because we think it's cool, guess what Paul says in a sense we're doing? We're showing off. We're just making noise. We're letting everybody know that we get a gift and it makes no sense to anybody else. That's why prophecy, a word or knowledge from the scriptures, is better, Paul says. Somebody opens up the scriptures and they read a word that they think the Lord is leading them to read. We understand that. It builds up the body and it brings glory to God. Now again, tongues with interpretations will do the same. I keep saying that over and over again so when this gets sent to the district, they'll understand that you know, I'm not missing the mark. And that teaching will come when we hit those verses, just not this week. <laughs> I want to teach what the Bible teaches, not what we think. And sometimes that means I have to get a talking to. So I'll be honest. I speak in tongues. I always have. Ever since I was a Christian, I got saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit all at once. See, the Lord figured, you know, might as well get me with everything all together. Didn't have a clue what was happening. Just as he then standing in the back of a church, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just, bam, there it is. Not a clue. I had no idea what I was stepping into. But then he blessed me with the gift of tongues, or what, and that's what it's often called, my prayer language. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but I want you to understand that the gift of tongues that Paul is talking about here is the same in function, meaning it is a, a foreign language, but it is different in purpose than what happened on the day of Pentecost. 
Some people who are baptized in the Holy Spirit speaking other tongues on the day of Pentecost may or may not ever speak in tongues again. It may not be a gift that they get. What Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 14 is the gift of tongues. Sometimes it's born out of being baptized in the Holy Spirit and he continues to build that prayer language as he did with me. But we learned some time ago that the Holy Spirit does what he wants, when he wants, to who he wants, how he wants. Amen? Okay, so the minute you try and put him in a box, forget it. It's not going to happen. It's different for everybody. So understand that what he's talking about here is not the same exact thing that happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Same in function, different in purpose. Okay? We'll get to that in a couple weeks. I have never spoken in tongues in a worship service ever once as a pastor. You know, that freaks some people out. They don't understand why, and I'll tell you why. Because I have never once gotten the interpretation of what it is I pray. The Lord has never enlightened me as to what that is, and he's never motivated me to speak out loud in tongues in a worship service. Therefore, I don't want to be disobedient to him and let the whole world know that I can speak in tongues, and here's what it sounds like, and everybody look at me and go, oh, cool, the pastor speaks in tongues. And then it just hangs there. And there's no interpretation. Of what use would that be? None at all. None at all. You see, Paul's desire, and therefore my desire, is to help us all to grow in both ways. To find that balance, to utilize the gifts, to grow in the knowledge and the grace of what they are. In your private spiritual disciplines, and even more importantly, in our corporate worship setting. The healthiest body is one where each one of us in their private lives, has given to and submitted completely to the leading of the Holy Spirit in Christ. Because then what happens out of that is we bless the body of believers and it always benefits the other. The overflow of our private life is always for the betterment of others. In all things, most especially in the gifts. Paul says that. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, what's he say? Strive to excel in what? Puffing yourself up? Making yourself feel better? Letting everybody know how God has blessed you? No. Excel in building up the church. See, that's good stuff. As we grow together as a people in a community of believers and seek to reach out to this community that we all live in, wherever it is you live, sharing the gospel, it is vital that we think this way. It is absolutely essential that we think outward and not inward. Now, I've said this a few times this week in conversations with many different people. For some reason, that this has just come back. I don't know, maybe it was running around in the back of my head and it found its way in the front and it just keeps falling out. It is as much about the journey as it is about our destination. If all we think about is the destination, there's a really good chance we're going to get there alone. But if we are concerned as much about the journey as well as we are the destination of where we're going, we don't want to travel alone, do we? We want to go together as a body of believers, building friendships, working together to grow our children up in the faith, working together to grow our grandchildren up in the faith, teaching them about Jesus and how to live a life that is honoring to Him, doing little things like working in the nursery even one Sunday a month holding a little child. Think about that. How much work does that take? I mean, if you can handle being thrown up on, I've I got a job for you. <laughs> How much work does that take? You know what it takes? It takes love. 
It takes love. And it takes me or somebody else dying to themselves for that one week and saying, I'm not going to sit in service because I want to go back and I want to bless the little kids in the nursery or I want to help out with kids' church. I want to do what's good for them, even if it means I can't be out here once a month. You get 30 people doing once a month and you might only have to do it once every other month. If we're seeking for the good of others, coming together to paint this room, to maintain the grounds that we have, all of that mundane stuff that we think isn't worth anything. Because guess what happens in the midst of that? Fellowship, hamburgers, hot dogs, always got to have food. Always got to have food. All of that stuff. We are growing and we are building and we are taking that journey as a body of believers and a community of believers here at AGCC. In the midst of that, we help new people feel welcome and comfortable here on a Sunday morning is as an important thing as anything else. Growing together as a body and reaching out to our community beyond these four walls is what the goal of this church should be. It's what it's always been. It's what it always will be. It's what we need to refocus on and be very intentional on doing, especially in a culture that is dynamically different than it even was 10 years ago. Do we really want to reach people with the gospel of Jesus? Do we really believe that every human being has value? Do we want to have an impact? I think that we do. I think that we do. Got a phone call from my son-in-law this morning, and that's red, so it's off. I'm almost done. I'm on my last page. Got a phone call from my son-in-law this morning, and he said, you know, I just wanted you to know it's a quick call. Just a quick call. He said, I really appreciate hearing in the conversation that we had the last time that I was up visiting you about what your church does for your community. The backpack program and feeding the little kids and reaching out to people in need and giving back to the community and representing Jesus in the way we do. Is that not what we're supposed to be doing? I see that we're looking to do that in many respects. We strive to build each other up intentionally if the worship team could take their place now and the prayer teams as well. As we close this morning, I just want to tell you, as we continue on in chapter 14, the gifts are a great thing. We understand what they're given for. They're to be utilized in love. We as his people are supposed to be growing in the knowledge and the faith of Jesus. We also are supposed to know what it is we're doing here as a body of believers, and we do. Our concern, I want to leave you with this. Our concern should always be for the other. It should always be for the next person that walks in that door. It should always be for the stranger that you see on the street that you're feeling stirred in your heart to even smile at and just say hello to, to spend some time with, to have a cup of coffee with, to walk a small part of the journey with, ask if they need a helping hand. That's what we're looking for. We want to invite somebody here on a Sunday morning. We want to make sure that when they come in, they see Jesus and the people that are here. They see the gifts operating through worship, through the word, through everything. That's our goal. Something that I remind myself of every day, it's I want to remind you every day. These are things we ought to be striving for, ought to be focusing on every day. God gifts us in order to bring glory to him and him alone. That's where it begins and that's where it ends. 
he gifts us in order to bring glory to him and to him alone. In doing so, we are blessed beyond belief. I want people that we encounter to walk away having had an experience with God because they had a conversation with one of his children. I want them to see God working through each and every one of you in everything you do. Not just here on Sunday mornings, but in everything you do. If we could stand.